0: Uh, before I start in this message, I'm just curious, uh, have you ever had anybody tell you you're weird? <laughs> uh, no, I'm sincere, have you ever, can I just see your hands? Okay, so you kind of own it, you are weird then. I mean, I am too, uh, this will actually make more sense later on, we, just so that you know, you are weird, okay, you are, I am, we are weird. We're in a series called Time, and uh, it comes from one passage of scripture in the Old Testament, Uh, Solomon was the author that the Spirit of God used to write down the book of Ecclesiastes. He also did the book of Proverbs. And Solomon was the wisest man, the Scripture says, that ever lived. And so he gives a lot of interesting insights to what differentiates between a person living their entire life and being wise and living their entire life and being a fool. And in this one little section of Ecclesiastes, he, he goes through a number of situations that we go through typically in life and they are meant to be learning developmental situations and so I'm just going to kind of turn you right into those so if you don't mind turning to page 741 and those Bibles that are near you on the chair and we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and I'm going to start in verse 1 I'm not going to read all eight verses there's 14 cycles actually that are listed here we're only going to look at a few chapter 3 beginning of verse 1 and some of you might remember the song that, you know, for everything there is, a the time and all that stuff and the birds and that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, I, I really never liked the song, but anyway, it's, uh. here we go. For everything there is an appointed time and an appropriate time for every activity on earth. This is so full, just that one statement. Then he goes on to list a number of situations that we should expect in life. Time to be born, time to die. We've already dealt with that. A time to plant and a time to uproot. We dealt with that last week. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. We'll stop there and that's where a message comes today. A time to weep. There's a right time, there is an appropriate time for weeping, and there is an appropriate time for laughing. And God fully intends for us to experience both. Should be a little bit of a hint, we come into this world with a whack on the rear end and we're crying. Should be a hint. This is not going to be a real smooth ride, you know. Now, I've said each week there's a little bit of a formula that helps us to understand these these verses that talk about a time for certain activities and so forth, and it kind of goes like this. God wants us in this life. What makes a person wise is to develop, first of all, awareness. What season is it in my life? What season? I've got to develop awareness, and then I have to follow that with appropriate action. Now that I know what season it is in my life, what is the appropriate action for this particular season in my life? When we do that, it equals wisdom. We don't live our lives foolishly. We don't waste our existence. So with that in mind, a time to weep, a time to laugh. We're talking about emotional states today. And uh, I want to stretch it because what God wants us to be is emotionally healthy beings. And we have an awful lot of uh, thought dedicated to this subject today, probably more so than any other time in history, and, and I put something on your seats when you came in, and it's 20 features of emotional health, and I don't necessarily want you to look at it now, but, but here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to take this home and cherish it and keep it and look at it maybe once a week. It's the very best thing I've ever seen in all my life, the most balanced about What does emotional health look like? It fits within the context of the way that one that's united their life to Christ, their creator, and is being developed the way that he would want human beings to develop. The traits, the 20 traits are the very things that would happen. Now there's a quote from the lady, she's a psychotherapist, been a psychotherapist over 30 years, from the lady on that developed that particular 20 traits. Here's her quote. Emotions or emotional development form the foundation. Guys, just so you know, I'm echoing terribly up here. It's almost like I can't, I'm delayed in my own words. Uh, Emotions or emotional development form the foundation for our ability to have relationships, to learn, to get things done, to work and hold jobs, and actually to think and analyze. Emotions supply the energy, interest, and attention, memory, and will to act. The more emotionally developed we are, the more mentally healthy we are. Please keep that up there for just a minute. Don't, don't take it down. Look at the very beginning. Emotions or emotional development form the foundation of our ability to have what? Relationships. And we are relational creatures made in the image of God, made by Christ and for Christ, made in his image. We are relational creatures. We are love-driven creatures. You can you know take everything else away from a human being. But you cannot take love from a human being and have that person still be fully human and fully alive. So these emotional experiences that we have, they are very, very important. This is one of the most distinguishing gifts that God has given to us as image bearers. It separates us from every other kind of life on the planet. We have very sophisticated abilities to experience emotional states, and, 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 and we're just so, so brilliant at it. I mean, someone can come to you, you might have had a a boring day, a bad day. Someone can come to you, tell you a funny story, and all of a sudden you light up inside. Or somebody can come to you and say something encouraging and you light up inside. You can take that to a different degree. You may have been having a funny, giddy, silly day, but one of your dear friends comes to you and tells you that they're going through one of the toughest times in their life and all of a sudden you change emotionally. Your dog can't do that. Much as your dog is cool, and and I love my dog. Dog can't do that. No animal can do that. We are unique. We can see a sunset and go into an emotional state. We're we're so different. We're so unique. This this gift of emotions or emotional states, feelings, it is one of the greatest gifts that God's given to us. God does a lot of things like this. Think about it. Even physically, he gives us the ability to feel. Uh, I mean, how many of you are just a little bit thankful that you have taste buds? I mean, really, come on. I mean, suppose we had to eat, but you couldn't taste anything. If you have ever had a bad cold or something like that when you really can't taste? Eating is not that much fun. But God, in consideration, gives us taste buds. He, He wants us to enjoy life without emotions. Think about it. There wouldn't be any meaning. There wouldn't be any fun. Nothing would matter much. Now, emotions, they're wonderful rewarders, but they can be relentless tortures. We all know probably by this time in our life, I'm looking at a room of adults, uh, we know heartbreak on some level. And there's no way to quite describe heartbreak. I mean, when you really have heartbreak, it feels just like that. Like maybe your actual physical heart might break and be destroyed. And sometimes we feel like it would almost be easier were we to die than to live in that emotional state. And so these emotions of ours, they can, they can take us to the highest heights. They can take us to the deepest depths. They can motivate us and energize us. They help us, though, to forge relationships on a very unique, sophisticated level. So we want to look into all these things as we um, probe this a little bit deeper. Now, this passage is urging us. It says, listen, there's a time. So it's, it's given that we are supposed to have some control in these emotional states. There's a time to weep, which obviously says there's a time that you shouldn't weep. There's a time to laugh, which obviously means there's a time not to laugh. This is assuming that God wants us in our development to develop the ability to control the expression of these emotional states we experience. And we'll, we'll unpack that a bit more as we go on. So... The first thing that this calls for, if I'm gonna fulfill God's intent for my growth and development, and I get to become a, a being that can weep at the right time and can laugh at the right time, experience all the emotional states in between at the right time, express them in the right way, well then the first thing I need is I need an elevated awareness of my situational context. Elevated awareness of the situational context. You say that that's a Big sounding word what, or phrase, what, what is that talking about? We all know what situational context is. Look at, Consider a little child. You, you take a little three-year-old child to the library. Now, some of you are stumped right there. A what? A, li- a library. It's this thing that you could go and borrow books. There are these paper things with print on them for some of you that don't know what a library or a book is, for that matter, anymore. But, you know, you take your little three-year-old to the library little three-year-old doesn't know anything about the situational context. They don't know that in a library everybody is supposed to be very quiet. So the little three-year-old might scream and run back and forth. And so you being a parent, you have to take the child and explain the situational context. And you go, shh, in the library, you know, we don't talk. God wants us as human beings. First of all, he's given us the capacity to become very situationally aware. One of the marks of maturity when a human being is maturing is just that, situational awareness, growing situational awareness. Let me expand on that, meaning that I go into any environment and context and I meet people in that environment and context and I am able to be objective enough that I can assess their emotional state. I can assess what's going on. I can kind of get a feel for what's appropriate, what's needed, how I can bless them, how I can help them, that's one of the marks of maturity. And, and so situational awareness needs to be elevated. I need to have my situational awareness elevated from time to time. And I depend on others these days mostly to tell me when, hey, you're, you're not responding right in that situation. You, did, you didn't hear that right. You responded in the way that was, was not based on what was really said or what was appropriate. And think about it, one of the things that parents and coaches and and adult role models through our lives are meant meant to do for us is to do this very thing. Teach situational awareness, elevate our, our understanding of what's appropriate behavior, appropriate emotional expression in a given environment, and so some of us got good coaching on that. Some of us had parents that they told us that when you're in this environment, this is the way to behave. When you're in that environment, that's the way to behave. They showed us that certain emotional experiences that we may be having are not appropriately expressed in that particular environment in the way that the child may want to. So we start learning. We start learning a lot about elevated awareness and emotional experience and expression also by just personal experience, you know. Uh, You don't go long in this world before you have some reason to cry or be sad. You don't go long in this world before you have a reason to be happy and and enjoy yourself. So these are also meant to kind of coach us, elevate our situational awareness. We knew how it felt when we were sad. We didn't want somebody laughing at us. Therefore, when we get around somebody that's sad, we know it's not appropriate to be laughing at them. You see how, how this thing works. So Some of us have been severely handicapped from youth in this developmental department. I'm sincere. I'm not joking. Some of us got next to no training about, first of all, the propriety of experiencing emotions fully, but then learning how to express them appropriately based on the situational context. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but some of you got absolutely no training in that. I didn't. I just well been brought up by wolves the way I came up, and that's that's sincere. Some of us had to learn things the hard way. Some of us, me, still learning in this realm, and it's okay because it's it's part of our growing maturity. I came across this article, man, and I really liked it. It it said that in Japan, they are developing (laughs) robots to teach dentists The kind of pain that we patients feel from the dentist. And when I read it, I mean, this is the picture that came to my mind. I'm picturing a robot standing over a dentist and saying, do you feel that? You know, or having a conversation, don't you love it when your dentist has got all these things in your mouth and they start asking you about your life and family and of course it's, they're just doing it for their amusement, they know you can't talk. And so I pictured these robots torturing these dentists like that so that they'd learn, but that's not what it was, I was really disappointed. So what it really was was this though. <laughs> Hanako, dental training robot, and I saw a video of Hanako and she is scary, she's so lifelike. She talks quite appropriately and so here's another shot of Hanako when they're really working on her and what Hanako can do is she can say, that hurts or that makes me feel uncomfortable and perhaps she has some Japanese profanity uh, (laughs) components in her that I don't know about, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But this is supposed to train these dentists to be aware uh, of, of the pain and to be more sensitive with patients. And... As we go through life, and like I said a minute ago, and experience pain, it's meant to be a teacher for us. It's meant to help us develop so that we become sensitive to how pain might feel to others. And we know that there's just not physical pain. We learn early on in life there's such a thing as emotional pain that, frankly, can go on longer and feel worse than physical pain. Listen to this simple verse from the New Testament book of Philippians. Here's the Apostle Paul, uh, founder of so many New Testament churches, writer of 13 books in the New Testament. He's writing to followers of Christ, living in a city called Philippi, and he just makes this simple statement led by the Spirit of God. He says, each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but about the interest of others as well. Now, that's a really simple easy-to-understand statement. But how many of you would agree, that is really hard to do? How many would just say, that's hard, that's hard. I mean, it's easy for me to be aware and concerned about my own interest. It takes intentionality for me to be concerned and aware of your interest. But when we talk about this elevation of awareness of the situational context, that's what we must do. We must make that our goal, that, that I want to become sophisticated and sensitized to your emotional states I want to be able to get around people and zoom in and be able to kind of take the temperature quickly so that I can adjust my behavior appropriately Uh, become other oriented to make it really simple is what the verse is calling for so this is something that God intends for us to develop therefore we can develop this but it takes a word that I shared a minute ago. It Frankly, it takes intentionality. It doesn't happen automatically. I wish that it did. Here's another verse that just kind of says the same thing from 1 Corinthians. Paul writing to followers of Christ, living in Corinth. He says, hey, look, do not look out only for yourselves. Look out for the good of others. So... It's this orientation. So, so how can I elevate my awareness of the situational context? How can I get better at this, in other words? How can I get where when I go into an environment, I very quickly can assess what's going on in the environment? What's the emotional experience of the people in the environment around me? How can I get better at this? Well, there's this verse. In Matthew chapter 22, or a couple verses, chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, this guy came to Jesus. Frankly, he was trying to argue with Jesus, trying to trap him. And he says, okay, okay, okay. You know, what? what's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus responds, oh, the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He says, "All, all the commandments are based on this. They're just amplifications of this. So, what if we really start to try to cultivate just this, that my life becomes centered supremely around my regard, my devotion, my allegiance, my love for God, that I care so much supremely about Him that all through my walking life, no matter where I'm going, if, if I'm you know at work or at home, I'm, I'm aware of Him, I'm concerned about Him, I want to please Him. What does this do to me? Well, I want to tell you that that this this turns on a lot of lights inside of us. This kind of catalyzes a lot of dormant capacities. It makes us far more sensitive. When I care supremely about God and pleasing Him, and I'm aware of His presence in every environment I go into, it changes the way I see and think about things. How many of you have to drive up and down the road, up and down 270? Can I see your hands? No, 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 hold hold them high. I want to see (laughs) All right, put them down. How many of you ever speed? Let me see your hands now. Ah, there you go. All right. If Jesus really were here physically, and he was going to ride up and down the road on 270 with you, how many think you wouldn't speed? Can I see your hand? I mean, Jesus is right there. How, How many know you wouldn't speed? When we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we cultivate awareness of his presence, and he is always present. Jesus said, I'm always with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you to the end of the age. If we cultivate awareness of his presence, it does something inside of me. I become softer. I become more sensitive. I become more objective. I become more concerned about others in my environment. The second one, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is that same thing again. Start thinking about the people around us. One of of the key marks of a Christian, a person that's put their faith and trust in Christ and become his follower, one of the key marks that differentiates a Christ follower from a non-Christ follower is that a real Christ follower goes into every environment with a different frame of mind. Now, it may start off small, but it can develop greatly greatly. A typical Christ follower should walk into every environment and be thinking, my God and my Father, how can I honor you and please you in this environment? And my God and my Father, how can I bless and serve the people in this environment? A Christian, a Christ follower goes into every environment saying, what can I give? How can I serve? What can I do to help you help things? A Christian does not go into an environment and say, what am I going to get out of this? What are you going to do for me? What is this going to um, you know, enable me to do? That's not the way a Christ follower, a healthy Christ follower, or a growing, maturing Christ follower thinks. So what I'm trying to say is, when it comes to elevating our awareness of the situational context, if you elevate, elevate your awareness of God's presence and His love, I'm telling you, lights will go on And you will see things in your environment, and you will see the emotional states of the people in the environment, and it will enable you to adjust your own emotional state and express your emotions appropriately. It's just a truism. Let me share one more verse from the the same Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Galatia. He said, Help each other, or excuse me, help carry each other's burdens in this way. You will follow Christ's teaching. Help carry each other's burdens. Here again, this is an elevated state of awareness where, first of all, I have capacity. I'm not so absorbed with my own struggles, with my own needs, with my own desires, with my own dreams. I'm not so self-absorbed that I can't even be bothered to tune into your wavelength. No, it's saying that that I have objectivity, I'm immersed in God's love for me, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm forgiven, I know who I am, I know why I'm here, I know how to live, I know where I'm going. And this gives me objectivity, it gives me pause where I can now, I can see you, I can, I can hear if I listen carefully to your heart and to your soul. I, I'm not so needy that my own needs are screaming in my own ears all the time and I have no capacity for you. I can, I can see your burdens, and I have some, some space in my own soul to help carry them. I'm not so absorbed with my own stuff. Now, don't feel bad if you are absorbed with your own stuff right now. We all go through seasons like that, and, and that's part of growth too. Little children, teenagers we know it's appropriate for them to be self-absorbed. They have not developed sufficiently where they have some objectivity and space where they can do for and help others. So it is with our spiritual development. We start off as new followers of Christ just like little babies and we need time to grow and develop. But this objectivity where we can see and sense and then help shoulder by expressing our emotions correctly, shoulder another's burdens so that it doesn't crush them. Uh, this is a capacity that God gives us. It's knowing the time to weep and the time to laugh and having the ability to do both in the right way at the right time for the sake of God's honor and for the sake of blessing others. This is something we can do, and when we do it, it kind of gives this whole new feeling of personal acceptance of ourselves. We, we kind of get that sense. that This, is, this feels good. This is, this is who I always wanted to be. This, this is the kind of human being I, I always thought I could be. It feels good to love people. It feels good to have goodwill. It feels good to have space and capacity not to be so self-absorbed that I, I want to serve. I want to care. You can get there. I can get there. We can all get there. That's God's intention for us. There's a lady... Her name is Sherry Turkle, and she's a communication, communications expert. In the New York Times 2015, she wrote a pretty extensive article. I, I got a kind of a couple long excerpts, but they're really worth hearing. This will explain why I called you weird earlier, too, but, but let me just go into this. In a recent 2015 article in the New York Times, uh, communication expert Sherry Turkle asked, what has happened to face-to-face conversation in a world where so many people say they would rather text than talk. Before we go to the other slides, let me me expand on this a bit. When I said earlier that you're weird and I'm weird, I meant it. (laughs) We are weird. What we don't think about anymore when we read, let's say, this, this profound book, God's revelation, the truth about himself and the truth about life called the Bible. When we read it, what we don't usually think about is that it was written in an ancient world context. In other words, the Bible was written in a context where it was impossible to have a conversation with somebody in any other way other than face to face. You might have been able to write a letter occasionally and get a courier to take it, but it was rare. So I want you to think about this. 108 billion people they estimate have ever lived and died on the planet. 108 billion. Of that 108 billion, at least about 100 billion of them, the only kind of communication that they knew to be possible was face to face. Let me ask you a question. Is it different to talk to somebody face-to-face than it is to text them or email them. Sure it is. When you're face-to-face with somebody, you can read their eyes. You can read their body language. You can hear their voice tonality. You, You can sense on a much deeper level what is going on with them. And your emotions are affected by that, appropriately so, and they hopefully can adjust and express themselves in a way can literally infuse life into that person. Something's happening to us. You've you, you got to hear me. I, I'm not against technology. I'm really not. Uh, but, but I'm urging caution because something is happening to us by having so few face-to-face conversations. These dormant capacities, these, these beautiful emotional capacities for compassion and empathy and sympathy, they, they are they are just sort of atrophying in our souls because we are no longer face-to-face. It's a heck of a lot more comfortable to send somebody a text, isn't it? Or an email than to have a face-to-face conversation. But there's nothing that compares to it. That's how bonds, that's how love, that's how empathy and affirmation and affection are communicated on the highest levels. Let me go on with the rest of her quote. Studies of conversation show that when two people are talking, the mere presence of a phone on a table. I want to challenge some of you. I want to challenge. I want to challenge my staff publicly. (laughs) Don't bring them to staff meeting. You know how I feel about it anyway. Just don't even bring them. Okay? Studies of conversation show that when two people are talking, the mere presence of a phone on a table between them or in the periphery of their vision changes both what they talk about and the degree of the connection they what? feel the mere presence of a phone she goes on to explain people keep the conversation on topics where they won't mind being interrupted they don't feel as invested in each other even a silent phone does what okay do you believe that I do if you don't I respect that I do even a silent phone I think changes the level of intense intimacy that can be accomplished in conversation. She has more to say. In 2010, a team at the University of Michigan led by the psychologist Sarah Conrath put together the findings of 72 studies that were conducted over a 30-year period. They found a 40% decline. That's huge. This is, this is shocking. Something weird is going on. A 40% decline in empathy. Empathy is the ability to feel someone else's feelings, to understand their feelings. A 40% decline in empathy among college students with most of the decline taking place after 2000. Why might that be significant, 2000? Do you know when cell phones kind of became popular? Anybody have an idea of the date? It kind of became popular around 1996, 97, but they really didn't become something that everyone had to have, that a six-year-old has to have a smartphone. Or he or she is, the kid that's being deprived in the neighborhood. Right around 2000, everyone had a cell phone, pretty much a smartphone. Isn't it interesting They can measure a near 50% decline in empathy among college students. I don't think it would be any different among adults that are out of the college scene. And I think, just a theory, I think it's directly related to the new world, the weird way we live today. It's weird. Of the 108 billion people, we're the only 8 billion or so, almost about 7 billion of us that are living this way, texting, emailing, constantly looking at it. From, you go somewhere and people are, they're all sitting around at a table together doing doing this, they're not talking. This is weird. And it is doing things to our God-given brains. And it is emaciating capacities that God has given to us for empathy and compassion and feeling development It's just my my word to you. I don't know how you handle this. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I just know we best be very cautious about this because literally it is changing the structure, the neural pathways in our brains. And so we are becoming less human, less fully human, less fully alive, less capable of being able to weep at the right time and less capable of being able to laugh at the right time. It's a pretty serious thing. So let me give you a... Kind of a summary statement. Experience emotions fully. There's a time to weep. Weep. Weep fully. And there's a time to laugh. Laugh hard. Laugh fully. Experience emotions fully. Don't deny any of them. But while expressing them how? Appropriately. Every emotion that we experience, and we should experience it fully, should not be expressed fully. You've got to have situational uh, awareness of your situational context. Let me show you what I mean. Let's just take a friend of yours, okay? So you have a friend, and they hit the trifecta. I mean, it's the perfect storm trifecta. It's a bad trifecta. It's not a good one. Your friend gets fired. Your friend gets dumped the same day, and your friend, after they had politely used the toilet facility, managed to drop their brand-new smartphone in the commode, and it died in the commode, a polluted death. That's the trifecta. (laughs) The trifecta got dumped, got fired, oh, my cell phone. I'm not sure which one would hurt the worst these days. (laughs) <laughs> so, you, on the other hand, have had a wonderful day Everything's gone right It's been a silly, giddy day You've been kidding and teasing with people all day long You've heard a uh, hundred new funny stories And so you come to meet your friend And you're silly, giddy And yet you want to tell them all the all the funny stuff And then your friend starts unloading this on you And you look at your friend's face And your friend's face has that look of heartbreak And you know it's one of those bad, bad days with your friend. Now, you're giddy silly, but because you're a friend, do you express the emotions that you're feeling, the giddy silly? Uh Uh-uh. You adjust to your friend-in-needs emotional state, right? And you listen, you change your facial expression, and you maybe touch them, you maybe pray with them, You see what I'm trying to say? Experiencing an emotion fully does not mean that we must express it immediately because dependent upon the situational context, it might not be appropriate. And God has given you and I the capacity to deny some of the expression of these emotions until it's appropriate. Let me shift that thing around again. So now... Now this person who's had the trifecta of the bad day, you know, they got fired, they got dumped, they, they lost their cell phone in the toilet, now they've got to go to their little nieces and nephews' birthday party. When they go there, their heart is shattered, they're broken, they're, they're, they're hardly able to put one foot in front of another, but when they go to that birthday party for their little nieces and nephews, what are they going to do? They're going to smile, they're going to laugh, they're going to to be so pleasant for the niece and the nephew. They're going to deny the expression of the heartbreak that they're feeling, at least for a time, for the sake of blessing the others. You see the way we can adjust these states? Time to weep, time to laugh. Does it mean that we're We're suppressing emotions. I'm not suggesting you should ever suppress emotions. What I am suggesting is experience it fully, but don't just experience it fully and then let it lead you into certain behavioral conduct. In fact, the wise thing to do with any emotion is to question it. When you get the pause and the time, say, why am I feeling this? What, what thoughts or, or beliefs might be fostering this? Are those thoughts and beliefs true? Are those thoughts and beliefs things that are rooted in Scripture? Are they the way that God thinks? Maybe I'm thinking the wrong things. You know what I mean? If I come into a room and I think everybody hates me, I'm going to feel bad, even though everybody may not hate me. If I come in a room and think everybody loves me, I'm going to feel good, even though they might hate me. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what we be, or it doesn't matter what we believe, or whether it's true or not, is what I'm trying to say. It's what we believe that matters it affects our emotions so we don't talk about suppressing emotions emotions should be experienced fully and examined and questioned because they can sometimes lead us to uh, correcting some false beliefs that we have in our life and so forth but they should be only appropriately expressed all right let's turn the corner toward that appropriate response to situational context. In other words, I come into the context and I assess it now unselfishly and I realize this is a time for weeping. This is not a time for laughter. Or this is a time for laughter, not a time for weeping. So how do I appropriately respond to the situational context? What what is the right thing to do? Here's a really simple suggestive verse, again from the Apostle Paul, writing to followers of Christ living in Rome, in Romans twelve fifteen, it's real simple. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How many, when you read that verse, maybe you've read it before, you just kind of go, eh, <laughs> I have. <laughs> it's so powerful and profound. It's never really hit me until preparing for this message. This is saying that you and I have the ability to adjust our emotional state, regardless of what emotional state we might be in, to mirror the emotional state of another. What an incredibly unselfish, powerful, hard thing to do. And I am an abominable failure at this. Uh, I am really, 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 really bad at this. Let me show you where this goes. Listen to this statement from a doctor. Her name is uh, Shelly Gable. It's not on the screen, so I'm just going to kind of read it to you. If you're married, i got a hunch you'll be interested in this. Dr. Shelly Gable says, A spouse can create good feelings about the marriage, increasing the sense of satisfaction, intimacy, and fun, all with one simple reaction. Do you want to know what it is? Would you like to know? Would you like to increase intimacy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in your marriage? Would you like to know what the one little thing is? How many would pay me some money to get it? <laughs> Here it is. When a partner shares good news, actively respond. I read it, and I was like, huh? Which made me aware how obtuse I am in this What an utter failure, abysmal failure. When a partner shares good news, actively respond. Okay, she amplifies it. Now I can show you. It isn't enough just to listen passively, and I don't even do that good, okay? But that's not even enough. Gable says a partner needs to be active, offering hugs and even high fives. I'm going to tell you, that is so foreign to me that... (laughs) But when I read it, it was like, you know, I get it. I get it. When the responder does this, the other person immediately has tender feelings toward the supporting partner. Can I use you guys as a test group? I don't know, man. Is that that true? How many would say that's true? Can I see your hands? I'm going to start trying this stuff. Big time. I'm going to start trying this. My wife to be here in the second service. Believe me, she knows I'm an utter and abysmal failure in this. Now, what is it saying? It's saying essentially that same thing that God, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, wrote to those followers of Christ living in Rome. He says, hey, rejoice with those who rejoice. High fives. And weep with those who weep. Which tells me I have a God-given capacity to develop this capacity And I can do this, and when I do this, evidently, (laughs) evidently it does something wonderful in the other person. How many of you are sitting here thinking, man, I can do that? I I mean, I'm just curious. How many of you are sitting here thinking, I can do that? Extraordinarily powerful, evidently. I'll find out. (laughs) Another verse that sort of points in the same direction, Hebrews 13, 13 It says, remember those who are in prison. Again, remember your context. They had no global news in those days, blowing every fuse in your brain. If somebody was in prison, it was your buddy, it was your your spouse, it was your your relative. These Christians were writing to Christians who were being arrested because of their faith in Christ. Remember those who were in prison as though you were in prison with them. Remember those who are suffering as though you were suffering as they are. Again, not talking about people that are suffering on the other side of the planet that we don't know, never will know, never can do anything much about. The suffering was contextual. It was the people they knew. You don't have the capacity, I don't have the capacity to give myself to the suffering of the entire globe as it's revealed to me and you on news. But if we get close enough to some real people, we've got a lot more capacity than we ever imagined for suffering when they suffer. It's It's just something we all know what to do. You just kind of focus your mind and think about How would I feel if I were in that circumstance? And you stay there until you feel it. It's it's an easy thing to cultivate. It's not a hard thing. Interesting article. In Nanjing, China, and Beijing, they have a new new bunch of unique restaurants cropping up. They are called crying bars. Crying bars. We got a little, little picture The cry bar. You go to the bar and you pay $6 an hour, kid you not, and you sit around with other people who are there crying. They have couches. They have, you know, a little bit of furniture and lots of tissue. (laughs) And these things are hot and they're growing. I thought to myself, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever read. Why would somebody do that? I mean, why would they not cry in private? I thought to myself. But then I thought this thing a little deeper. You know what? They're reacting to something that God has planted in us. We yearn. We ache for a supportive, sympathetic, unconditionally loving, devoted community. People that are never going to make us feel unsafe. People that are never going to make us feel stupid. People that are never going to make us feel trivial and unimportant. Where our tears really matter and we want to go in a place where we feel like we can cry those tears with others and we can comfort them and they can comfort us. There's a yearning for this this community, this family that God has always intended us to be a part of. This unconditionally loving family in which every emotion can be expressed and it's cared about by others and it's mirrored back by others and it brings healing to us and it also expands our capacity to be just a little bit more like Jesus. It really really does listen to this verse and i'm getting ready to land the plane it says god's goal for us is to become mature but but what is maturity just as christ is and we will be completely like him the scripture says when i grow up I'm meant to grow up to be mature, and when I am mature, I'm going to look just like Christ. That means I have God-given capacities to develop His kind of love, His kind of compassion. You have the same capacities, and that should be our goal. If you believe that, I believe that scripture, and I've been pursuing this for 44 years, and I have seen some progress but I'm still urgently seeking more because I know it's possible. Unless we believe that God has given us this capacity and this is his intention for us to mature. Enough of this just, oh man, you just got to get saved and get your ticket to heaven punched. Enough of this childish, churchy, churchy nonsense. Let's get into God's word where he says, no, I want you to learn to be mature, to become just like Jesus. You can do this. You can develop. You can grow to your last dying breath. We shouldn't be settling for anything less than that. Nothing less. So let me close with a couple thoughts. How many know what a thermometer is? Can I see your hands? Okay. <laughs> How many know what a thermostat is? Okay. Now, we thought, just in case you didn't, here's the thermometer, <laughs> and whoops, and there's the thermostat. There, that was tricky. <laughs> Now, the big difference with the thermometer is, and the thermostat is The thermometer accurately measures the temperature. God has given to me and God has given to you the capacity for situational awareness. In other words, the capacity to take the emotional temperature of anyone we are around. And any situation to detect the mood. You have that thermometer. I have that thermometer. It's given by God. We may need to develop it. We may need to wake it up. But it's there. You can become situationally aware. Sensitive. You can perceive. You can measure the temperature of your environment and the people that are in your environment. Their emotional state. But he also has given us a thermostat. Now a thermostat, it controls the temperature. It changes the temperature. You want it cooler? We can set it down. You want it hotter? You can take it up. Time to laugh, you take it up. Time to weep, you take it down. God has given to each of us a thermometer and a thermostat that he wants us to be aware of. He wants us to cultivate. He wants us to develop. More importantly, he wants us to deploy it to bless the world, a world that is agonizing for people that are, that are emotionally attuned emotionally healthy it's my belief every christian ought to be a model of someone that is becoming in process becoming emotionally healthy i so strongly urge you that sheet that i put on your chair i so strongly urge you to take it home put it somewhere where it won't get lost look at it at least once a week measure yourself by it it's a really really good document so let's ask a couple questions Where is my, where is your greater need to grow today? Is it to be a thermometer that I'm kind of dull and obtuse taking the temperature of others emotionally uh, or or the contextual environment? I'm just kind of not good at that. I need to develop in my ability to be a good thermometer or maybe it's thermostat. I need to get better at appropriately expressing my emotions. After I've taken the contextual temperature, which of these areas do you think you need the most to grow in? And will you make it a personal prayer between you and the Lord today to to keep this on your mind and help you to develop in that area? And then one last consideration. I'll just talk about emotional health and expressing the full gamut of emotions and experiencing the full gamut of emotions. I I just got to be honest with you. Uh, Until you receive the full forgiveness of God, until you know that your creator loves you, has always loved you, is with you and not against you, until you return to that creator who is Christ, who came and demonstrated the, the beauty of this love, this unselfish love, to the point of going to the cross and dying to let us know this is how much I love you and how much you matter to me. My arms are open wide. You can come home. Forgiveness is Absolute. Until you put your trust in your Creator, Christ, and return to Him, you're not honestly going to have much capacity for all the things that I talked about today. You just won't. You'll live pretty much governed by fear. You'll live with, in quiet desperation, trying to eke out the little bit of pleasure you can until your heart stops beating. That's pretty much the way most of the world lives. So for you, maybe the, the call of God this morning is will you take that step to for the first time with all your heart with absolute sincerity say I don't really even care if nobody else in the world is going to trust Christ and follow Him today I am going to become His follower I am putting my trust in Him today maybe that's the key decision for you let's pray Father first we, we are so thankful for this gift that you have given us, this, these emotions, these, these emotional states of being that, that we receive because we're made in your likeness. They give us meaning, they give us excitement, they give us energy, they give us purpose. They allow us to connect deeply and intimately in relational love. We thank you for these. And we all need your healing and your grace that we can truly express fully the right emotion, the right time, the right way. May you help us to this end, we ask it in Christ's name, amen.